go and pray for our time in the Word here, if you join me. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to gather this morning, so thankful for this time we've just had of uh, just standing in your presence and worshiping you for who you are, what you've done, uh, how you've changed our hearts, how you've made us clean when we don't deserve it. God, we're so thankful and grateful for who you are and your nature. And uh, God, I just pray for this time that you would speak and not me. Um, you know how underprepared I am, and I surrender myself to you, Holy Spirit, and just, uh, Lord, teach us, change us, challenge us into be the, being the people that you've called us to be. Thank you for this group of people that loves you so much. Uh, Lord, I pray you just weave us together more and more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. As those songs so clearly demonstrated as we sung them, we serve a going God. We we talked about this at the beginning of the Going Together series that we kicked off, and uh, we, we serve a God that has come to us, right? We don't have to stack up a bunch of works in order to be in his presence. He has come down to us, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I stand righteous before him. His flood of grace has covered me. My sin is washed away. He has come to us when I did not deserve it. He, when he created the world, he didn't sit back and just watch it spin, right? Since the beginning, he's stepped down into our mess. And you can see this from Genesis to Revelation and ultimately in the coming of Jesus to die for our sin. We serve a God who is going. He is not staying, sitting back and doing nothing. He is going out to share his love with all those that are on the, on the earth. We serve a going God. And he calls us to be in his image like we just finished out with. He calls us to be going people. Just as he came to us, he has sent us out. He has given us a call. He's given us a charge to go forth and do what he has called us to do in his timing. And we're going to look at that throughout this morning. Connor finished his prayer with this very thing. We're, we're made in the image and likeness of our Father. Amen? God has made us in his image. He has created us to be reflections of who he is. From beginning to start of our life, our our goal, our purpose is to stand before him and cry, holy, holy, holy. Recognize that he has put that image on us and we can cry out to him and say, you are holy, God. He's made us in his image. And throughout our life, the goal is this, to become more like his son. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You guys know about the veil because we've been in the Old Testament, right? Where's the veil? In the Holy of Holies. It's been removed. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, as we're seeing straight his face, we're not seeing through a veil, we're seeing him directly, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is forming us and making us into His image. And His image and character is one that goes, doesn't sit back in holiness, but desires to share it to the ends of the earth. And so how should we look at ourselves and think that there's not something we're called to go and do as well? We are called to be going people because we serve a God who is going. We're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 to 9 or so, I can't remember. Um, But we're going to start in verses 4 to 7 and and talk about this first question, which is, what is the timing of our going? Okay, God has called you to go. When? 
today, tomorrow, next week? What is the timing of our going? In some way, you could say, you know, all the time, like now is the time to go. Yes. But sometimes God calls you to do something specific, and, you know, the timing is a little up in the air. Anyone there? Yeah? No? Okay. Cool. Yeah, a little, little up in the air. All right, so Acts 1, 4 to 7. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Why a delay, right? Like, between the receiving of the Holy Spirit and Jesus ascending, like, why ten more days? I mean, he's been teaching with them for 40 days. He, he resurrected, came back to them, gave them the Great Commission, and then taught them for 40 days he was with them. Okay? So why wait ten more? Right? Why wait ten more? Exactly. Feel the loss, right, John said? Feel the loss, right? Feel the separation from him at this point? Yeah, it's really about your heart, right? That 10 extra days of waiting for Holy Spirit to come and be present in power with you is a time for them to start searching. They had no idea what was going to happen at this point. Their leader had been crucified by the authority of the world at that time, okay? So what does that make them, right? They're running. Why a delay? Why 10 more days for the Holy Spirit to come waiting you will find in life, as you follow Jesus, that waiting is a part of the journey. It's maybe the hardest part of the journey. And you've all done it. You've all done it at various times of your life. You have waited. And there is a purpose in waiting. So I, I challenge you, if you are waiting for something, don't just wait. Okay? Seek the Lord in it. He is there with you in the waiting, okay? Waiting is not without purpose. Throughout Scripture, waiting is a reality. Look at the Psalms, for example. Okay, I'm going to run through a bunch of Psalms. Um, Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not for yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 135, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits and in his word, I hope. David knew something about waiting. He was told he was going to be king while there was already a king. That's some serious waiting. So I know some of you are waiting for a, a lot of things. I challenge you, don't just sit back and just like stew and try and make it happen. Like, make the time come faster. The timing is in God's hands. It is not in your hands. It never has been, never will be. 
So I challenge you, if you're waiting for something, get on your knees and wait there. Say, God, I know you've given me this promise. He might have given you a very clear promise to do something. He's done that time and time again to people throughout all of biblical history and our lives. This is what you're going to do. Abraham, you're going to inherit this land. How many years until Abraham inherited the land? Anybody? 40, 80? No. 400 years until his people, right, inherited the land. 400 until that promise from God in person was fulfilled. God cares about the waiting. So you hear these disciples in Acts say, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They still actually don't understand what's happening. That's the question that they have. Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to overthrow Rome with your power and reestablish us, your subjects, in strength in this world? They don't get it yet. Fully, they do not understand that this is a spiritual kingdom that is coming forth into the land, into the world. So he says, yeah, I'm going to need to give you 10 more days to sit with this. Sit with all that I have taught you. Sit with my resurrection. And just know, the Holy Spirit is going to come. That's all you need to know. You, I'm not telling you that what's going to happen. We all know what happened, right? Like when Holy Spirit came, fire comes from heaven and lands on the disciples, and they start speaking in languages they don't know. So he didn't give them that little tidbit of information that, like, that's what's going to happen when Holy Spirit comes down. But that's what's going to happen. And for 10 days, they're sitting there waiting, what in the world does it mean for me to be baptized by Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to come and to give me this power that Jesus is speaking of? He gives them 10 days to get on their knees and pray. And, and thankfully, that's what they did. They were in the upper room, right, when Holy Spirit comes, praying and seeking out what it is to do. God um, is working in the times of waiting. He isn't there to establish the kingdom of Israel um, he has a purpose in showing this waiting time for us. He cares about these times and these seasons. He cares about the 400 years of slavery that the Israelites went through. He cares about 40 years in the wilderness. He cares about the years of fallen and broken judges and kings. He cares about 400 years of silence between the last prophet and the coming of John the Baptist. He cares about 30 years of Jesus' life as he begins and hasn't even started his ministry yet. He cares about these times of the people waiting for when God is going to act and move and change. We've all been there. I believe God wants to use this time of waiting that you're in. God might have given you a go. He might have said, go somewhere, right? He might have given you that clearly and plainly. But I challenge you, if you're waiting, the go hasn't left, okay? Your heart has to change. We've all been there, right? We've been waiting to graduate high school. We've been waiting to get married. We've been waiting to complete our degrees. We've been waiting for kids. We've been waiting for kids to grow up. We've been waiting for kids to get out. We've been waiting for kids to come back. We've been waiting for... <laughs> you, you, sir, will understand one day, I guarantee. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> We've been waiting for a new job. We've been waiting for a new car. We've been waiting for a new house. You have all been waiting. I guarantee it. 
And so often our MO is to go into figure out mode and like orchestrate the time to come faster and it just doesn't. God has the time. In the wilderness, he led them by a pillar of cloud and fire and they stayed where they were until the pillar of cloud and fire moved. When it moved, they lifted up the tent and went on. That's how he calls us to be with the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a timing to the going and unfortunately, friends, we don't know it. We just don't know it. All right, there's a timing to our going as his people. The second is this. There is a geography of going. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How cool is it that God's plan to share his love with the world did not involve him just broadcasting it completely himself and his power through a megaphone in the sky, right? Like, we're pretty close to being able to, we basically do that now, like satellites and anyone, you know, like, like, he could have done any of that, right? He could have been just like, hey, my son has come, and you should believe in him. Like, from everywhere at one time, like, he could have done that, right? Could he not have done that? He cares about his creation that is made in his image, and he wants them to follow him and testify as the image bearers of God, testify to his glory and grace among the nations. And so his call is threefold. To the ends of the earth. God could call you to go anywhere. Is this a big map? That's a big map. There's a lot of places on that map. God might be calling you to go to one of those places. Someday, if we put people on Mars, I guess maybe we'll be called to go to Mars too. But right now, it's just this map, okay? This is the extent of your calling. This is the ends of the earth. You could be called to any of these places. We have friends that are called to minister to people on the top of Alaska, Inuit tribes in Alaska. They're called to go up and support them on a regular basis, and they do that. You know, like the ends of the earth. There's not a spot on that map that God couldn't say, you know what, you know where you need to go? You need to go here. Someone might have to be called from Cheyenne to Clearwater. I don't know. Maybe someone in this room. Anybody? Okay. Like, these things happen. God calls you to go to the ends of the earth. God could call you to go anywhere. I think we know that part of the call. In some ways, I think the part that we don't know necessarily is the part that's a little bit closer. God calls them to go to all Judea and Samaria, to the region, Right? start looking around at your region, you see a lot of people that some you agree with and some you don't agree with. Some you like and some you hate, right? Samaria, okay, is the example given here. Judea and Samaria. Basically, go to your arch enemies. Go to those who you consider less than human. That's what he's saying to them. It is a radical call to look around at your region, okay, if you're in Clearwater, that's like Florida, Georgia, you know, if you're in New York City, maybe that's New York and New Jersey. Like, like there's a region around you. And I don't know the, like, the exact like, measurement that we should put on this or whatever. But like, look around at your region and know that God is doing something around you. There's a geography to this. God calls you to care about his movement in the area that you're in. To understand its history and to pour into it. 
And finally, the hardest call, I think, to Jerusalem. To be called to stay. To be called to go where you are. So often, the allure of something different gets us. And we go somewhere else instead of where we're called to go. It is the hardest place to go to is where you are. I mean, Jesus said it this way, no prophet is honored in his hometown. Right? It is hard to go to your hometown. People know you. They know your history. They've had time with you. They've built a relationship with you. Some of that's good, some of that's bad. Okay? It's hard to stay and keep going where God has called you to be, which is Jerusalem or Clearwater, or, uh, you know, wherever it is, right? It's hard to go where you are. We get nervous, we get, we get anxious, we get, we get uh, bored maybe. Like, there's all these things that happen to us, and we stop seeing what God is doing right around us. It's one of the hardest places for us to go, is where we are. But God has called us to go to all these places. To be open, to be called to any place on this map. To, to be aware of what he's doing where you are in your area. But most importantly, to recognize exactly where you are. And look around at your neighbors and your friends and your family and your coworkers and say, I am called to go here. This is where I'm at. And this is where I'm going to share the good news that Jesus has died for the sins of the world. Our entire lives are devoted to the majesty of King Jesus. And whether we're called to go by staying or go by leaving, we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is the call of a disciple of Jesus. In this church, we embrace that this way. We go together. We've been spending the last few weeks talking about togetherness and what that is, that we serve together, that we pray together, that we do life together. We did a lot of life together this weekend, for sure. Some serious life together. It was good. Um, this isn't a call to go on your own. You're always supported by the body of Christ. These commands are not given to individuals in a vacuum. They're given to a group of disciples who are called to follow corporately. When Holy Spirit fell, he fell on them as a group. So we hear this again, the Great Commission. In light of all we've heard of serving together and praying together and, and doing life together and celebrating together, all these things, hear the Great Commission. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Are you responsible for the full discipleship of every person that comes to know Jesus? No. We are. This is a corporate calling. Each of us have different gifts and abilities to contribute to what God has called us to do. You don't have to know how to teach 
all the things that Jesus said to teach. You don't have to. Your body ought to. This body ought to as a group. You don't have to be the one that goes out on the street and evangelizes or whatever. Like, you might not be the one that does that. But you are the one that greets and says, welcome, brother. Let's challenge you. Let's, let's, let's do some life together. Let's get to know you and where you've come from. There are a multifaceted level of gifts that have been given to this body. And the responsibility of making disciples is not us each individually taking that task. It's us corporately embracing that as a church and doing that together. God has empowered us by Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. When you receive, but you will receive power when Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God has called us as a body of believers to fulfill this commission. So often it's seen individually. We have to embrace the idea that we are in this together. When we think about things individually, this is how we think. We break each other into categories and we start counting numbers through addition. Okay? I've got, some, I've got a formula to share with you because it's what I do. Okay? When you go to like some church conference or talk to, like if you have a pastor and you talk to other pastors, a lot of times this question, always, every single time, not a doubt. Even if you're just most the holy, humble person or whatever, it's always, well, how many, brother, how many you got in your fellowship down there in Clearwater? And it can be meant with no, you know, no anything behind that at all, but there's always this question will come up. How many people, how many people fellowship with you, sir? Well, I got three babies and children, four youth, five adults, two singles, four marrieds, six married with kids. We got 34. That's not us. That's just a, anyway. We categorize, right? We're like, okay, this is, this is our number. We're 34. Because we're counting by addition, as if that's some significant number to what God is doing. <laughs> right? Does this number matter? It doesn't matter in the least. What matters is if we're following the Lord and what he has called us to do. And so we actually need to flip this and think about, okay, am I counting attendance in the church? Should I be counting attendance in the church? Is that our metric of change? No, it's a terrible metric of change. This is our metric of change. We should be counting togetherness in the church. How together are we? Okay? Addition adds things up. When you interact with each other, you start changing one another. Okay? Things change in you. Anybody change when they got married? No? Okay. All right. You probably should. Um... <laughs> If you haven't, you probably should. Counting, we got to count in togetherness, not in addition. Okay? Not, we're not counting attendance here. We're counting togetherness. And it used multiplication. Okay? We use multiplication in that. So what's the impact of, quote, 34 by units? It's 30,000 plus. That number's insignificant too. It doesn't mean anything. Right? It's an insignificant number. But what I care about is these groups interacting with each other, challenging each other from the various stages of their lives togetherness. This is how we disciple corporately. This is how we reach our community in all its various ways. 
30,000 plus go to my church. Yeah, because we're multiplying, not adding stuff. Silly. No. I don't think I said that. I'm so confused. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to have to talk afterwards. I don't know where, where that got off. Anyway. God has called us, okay, to care about something different than our attendance. He's called us to care about the change that is happening in our hearts. And you can't, you can't add that up, okay? You can't add that up with just putting the numbers together. When you're having togetherness, you are changing in a serious way that cannot be measured by some number. 30,000, that's nonsensical, right? Because the change can be that powerful compared to 34, right? The change in your life, if you've truly been discipled, think about the 12. We were talking about this uh, at the men's gathering this this weekend. I have not shied away from this fact. I'm a pastor. I have insecurities about how many people are in my church. That's true. And if anybody, any other pastor has told you they don't have insecurities about the number of people in the church, they're lying, okay? It's just not true. But we truly, as Justin reminded, we truly have to look back at the model of Jesus, and he's there ministering to 12 men. What is the impact of that 12 men, John? Change the world. Change the world. God has not called us to go do this alone and count with addition. He's called us to do this together. We are called to be a people that follows God wherever he calls us to go. When he calls us to go and with the power he gives us to go. And we're called to do it not not as individuals, but as a body of believers that knows each other so well that we change the world. That's truly the evangelistic call of Jesus' prayer. May they be one that the world may know that I love you. That's literally what he's praying. Not for them to have some great uh, system of distribution of publications, right? Like he's not about getting the information out there. I want their unity among one another to be the evangelistic tool to change the world. That they may be one so they would know that we are one and in them. So I challenge you this morning, God has called you to go somewhere. You know that. All of you have a different call. It's been, so, it's been cool to have you guys to hear about, like, this family, okay, is traveling the whole United States to discern where God has called them. What a great Sunday to be here. God could call you anywhere. And when he tells you where it is, he might have you wait. So if you're waiting, don't start figuring stuff out. Just keep praying. Asking the Lord to show you. Asking him to open your eyes. God wants you to go somewhere, and, and very likely it's where you're at. But if it's not, wait for the Lord in his timing, his provision, his power. He will move you. He will change you in his timing and in his strength. If he's guiding somewhere, he's going to provide there, okay? That's an old great cliche, pastorism. Where he guides, he provides. Unfortunately, that cliche is very true, and so we will say it. As I said earlier, I'm not very organized. I don't know how to land this plane, so we're just going to pray. So, <laughs> so plane, plane is landed. The end. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. 
We're so thankful that you use broken vessels like us. We're so thankful that you've called us to change the world with the love of Jesus. And God, we're so grateful that you have done so in a way that doesn't extend us beyond what you've given us. You've done so in a way that we rely on our fellow brothers and sisters to challenge and change what the culture is saying. God, we pray that you would use us as a body of Christ to be examples of the love of Christ. Each day, more and more, change us into the image of your Son. And God, we know what that looks like. That looks like serving each other. That looks like praying for each other. That looks like doing life with each other. So God, I just challenge our hearts. Help us to see what you're doing in and around us. God, when we're waiting, I pray that we would get on our knees. We wouldn't be checking our email for the next message, checking our messages for the next thing, checking our bank account, checking our plans. Lord, help us. There's a place for that, and we've got to do those things. We've got to help us not forsake waiting on you. Seeking out you and your heart, because you have a heart for today. And that's all you've promised us. So God, help us rest in what you have already given, which is today. I trust you with tomorrow. God, I thank you for clear callings in life. I've experienced them, and, and I know them. I also know that you follow that up with a lot of waiting sometimes. So God, help us wait well. Help us wait like the disciples when you left and ascended and went to prayer and said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if they're coming in for us or, or what you mean by Holy Spirit coming. Lord, Lord, help us wait well. God, we thank you for Jesus. Our lives have been changed. Praise God, our lives have been changed. Once before we were sinners and broken, trying to figure everything out on our own, trying to run the rat race of this world. God, we were a mess. And because your son Jesus came and died on a cross, we now have the holiness and righteousness of God on our hearts. So God, I pray we would live in that strength of your presence. That Holy Spirit is, is in us. The veil is removed and you are changing us to be more like you. But help us be more like you. Help us look around at where we're at and see how you call us to this place today. Help us look around at our region and care for what you're doing in this place. Help us be open to you saying, go here or go there. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We trust you with every moment of our life, for every breath. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.